Welcome to the Good Cities Podcast with news and information about city movements around the world. Brought to you by GoodCities.net. In today's podcast, the president of Good Cities, Glenn Barth, is interviewing best-selling author and city coach Reggie McNeil. His latest book is Kingdom Collaborators, Eight Signature Practices of Leaders Who Turn the World Upside Down. In this fourth in a series of eight podcasts, Glenn and Reggie talk about the practice of kingdom leaders who collaborate with God and others in their communities to marry vision with action. Welcome to another edition of the Good Cities Podcast. This is Glenn Barth. I'm the president of Good Cities, and we're having a conversation with Reggie McNeil, who serves as our city coach in our work at Good Cities. Reggie's also a best-selling author. His latest book, Kingdom Collaborators, Eight Signature Practices of Leaders Who Turn the World Upside Down, is a book detailing key characteristics of kingdom leaders. In this podcast today, we're talking with Reggie about the practice of kingdom leaders who collaborate with God and others in their communities to marry vision with action. Reggie, welcome, and get us started in our discussion. Yeah, man, it's good to be with you, Glenn. Good to be with our listeners here. Yeah, it's been uh, pretty obvious to me through the work that I've been able to do with some uh, wonderful leaders around that they have a unique capacity uh, to help marry vision with action. In other words, there are lots of people who can spin vision, and, and I mean good vision, not, not an inappropriate uh, talent at all, but these kingdom collaborators just add to that uh, not just their capacity to paint a picture, but they actually help build on-ramps uh, for people to get in on that vision. So, they don't get, just get people dressed up with all, nowhere to go. They actually get them all the way to the prom and, you know, and on the dance floor. And, um, and I think that's a, a, a great characteristic of kingdom leaders. You know, I do too, Reggie. And uh, one of the things at Good Cities that I think you and I are always trying to do is to discover what the inner motivations are that people have in their hearts because this is a gift that God has given every person who's seeking to follow him and carry out a kingdom vision. Reggie, what role do a a leader's values play in their ability to turn vision into action? Well, just like you said uh, just now, uh, a leader's values really just turn their heart inside out so other people have a chance to see what the motivations are, what the aspirations are, what the critical um, convictions are of a leader and why they're on a particular journey. And so uh, a leader's um, values worn out publicly become an, a way that people can, I mean, they become a Velcro, like Velcro that people can stick to so that they are more willing to follow that leader into action. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. So in uh, Northeast Texas there, we have a literacy uh, campaign has been underway for uh, a few years now, and, uh, and it's countywide, and it particularly focuses on Titus County uh, and the, the kids, in uh, young kids, elementary age, grades one, two, um, and, uh, and helping them lower their illiteracy rate or raise the literacy rate, however you want to say it, because these kids come to school, you know, uh, they show up for kindergarten uh, basically uh, nationwide, but and they certainly fit the pattern. One out of six kids will come with, with no 
running a two million word deficit. They will just won't know the language, so they can't read very well, can't put concepts around. But anyway, so we've got this literacy effort underway. There are about 150 volunteers in a town, a community of about 30,000 people. It's pretty impressive. But I'll tell you, one of the reasons they've been able to recruit so well is because the superintendent of education there himself has volunteered as a reader in their campaign. He reads every week, uh, in this case, this year, to a second grader. Uh, and has established a relationship with that kid. I mean, it, it means a lot for the superintendent of education to leave the office, drive to one of his campuses, uh, you know, go in at 2 o'clock or, or whatever. And and he just has such a, a, you know, he tells that story. And, of course, all of his principals know it. All of his teachers know it. All the town knows it. So that's a, that's a his own values are showing off uh, in that, um, in, in his own action. And uh, honestly, uh, that that has raised his leadership cred uh, in some other areas and, and all across the board for him. One of the things I love about what he says to his teachers, by the way, is he, he tells his teachers, I, we're not going to, I'll fire somebody who says, you know, this child can't do this because they come from a certain background or whatever. He says, that's not, we're not buying, we're not going down that road. We believe every child can learn, every child can excel, and we're going to help that child be a, a leader and a, or, or a successful uh, student. So, I mean, just his infectious attitude, but he lives it out, in other words, so that people actually believe, hey, he believes what he's saying. I don't know. That's that's one example that comes to mind of, of how values become a way to actually recruit people uh, into action. What I love about that example is that uh, – Here's a leader who puts his own principles into practice, and uh, yeah. and people around him see that. And uh, what what I also love about it is the fact that he sees so much potential in in kids who yes. are uh, very impressionable. They know yes. when somebody doesn't believe in them, and when somebody yeah. does believe in them, and, uh, and that belief will give kids confidence. Oh, absolutely. He says, you know, every time we script a kid into a, a corner of we don't we lower the expectations, uh, you know, kids will rise to the expectations. So we lower the expectations and they'll 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 uh, they'll write it right down with us. And um, I, I, I tell you, one speaking of all his values, I'm making a hero out of this guy. And that's good because he really is. So this past year I was there for their kickoff for. um uh, heading into their um, semester of, of reading, uh, their school year reading. And, uh, and he told a story about uh, knowing that two or three weeks in reading to his new uh, kid this year, that he just wasn't connecting with him. Uh, something was just not right. And um, and so um, and, and, and I, can, I need to shorten the story. So he finally realizes that he's reading to this kid during this kid's recess. <laughs> and so oh what, what was happening is, is he said, you know, I was there at the very worst time of this kid's day to take him wow. off of something that was really important. He said, I, would, I just penciled him in on my calendar because I had, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning free, and that was uh, good for me. He said, but when I finally realized it's terrible for the kid, he said, I had to adjust my calendar to meet the kids 
You know, and now here are all of the values behind that. Just and he tells this story to all of these, you know, to 150 folks, you know, trying to make the point. You know, this is about the kids. It's not about us. And uh, I mean, he just sold the whole thing. You know, on his own mistake, uh, his own transparency. But wow, does that say volumes or what? You know, uh, and, and every one of our listeners today can can uh, can apply that to their own situation. You know, how how are our and ask themselves a question, how are my values bleeding through my behavior uh, and even what I talk about, but particularly how I behave so that people actually believe what I'm saying? Hmm. You know, as people who are seeking to follow Jesus, one of the things we really have to do, Reggie, is to allow every person to know that we believe they have great potential to develop and grow you mentioned earlier that kingdom leaders build on-ramps for others to join the action. And, uh, and it just seems to me this is such an important piece for human growth. Can you unpack this a little for us? Well, you're right. There's, you know, uh, you and I have talked about this a number of times, you know, moving from a two-chapter gospel to a four-chapter gospel. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I grew up in a two-chapter gospel world. You know, uh, people are fallen, and then Jesus comes and saves us. Uh, you know, but chapter, uh, if you have a four-chapter gospel, you've got you start with creation, which puts all of the dreams of God on the on the front end. You know, that chapter is about uh, the imagination of God and the a magnificent God who dreams up every single human being with great potential, gives us His image as a gift that is not revoked. Uh, and then, of course, the fourth chapter on the back end is the restoration of that uh, of that world and God's dream as we partner with Him and in His redemptive mission in the world. So it's just a much more holistic, full thing. So, but but back to the point of this this uh, on ramp for helping people uh, get into that. Uh, for instance, I was with a, a Lutheran church just a couple of weekends ago in Charlotte, and for about six years now, they've had this ongoing ministry to uh, homeless. Uh, they're part of a feeding uh, circuit uh, in that city for midday meals for the homeless. Um, but when these folks come in to this particular uh, congregation, you know, it's not a soup kitchen. Uh, they're fed uh, a gourmet meal uh, with um, on real plates with real silverware that requires someone to wash them. Um, and, uh, I mean, they're just treated with great dignity, uh, and it's like you're going to a fine place. Now, that's not, and they've worked hard not to make that an intimidation, uh, and it certainly has not intimidated. They serve 150 people a week, uh, you know, with this, uh, and there was something that requires, you know, like 80 volunteers or whatever. Now, what they're considering now to build more on-ramps into that ministry is how can they, because they've established themselves as a helpful place and a hopeful place and a place that treats people with dignity. Uh, they also have a recovery ministry that uh, has been ongoing. And so now they're thinking about how can we actually open this up to the community that's developing around us, apartments, condos that are all just being built. I mean, there were, all kinds of construction going on. This is just right, right off of downtown there in a very, you know, up and coming part of town. And, um, and so, you know, they're, they're fixing to give, uh, that's Southern for about to, 
give the community around them opportunities to participate in helping other folks. I mean, I, I, I just think that that's what kingdom leaders are always doing. Um, you know, they're going to extend beyond just their congregation for volunteers because it's going to help the people in the community get connected to the community through serving others uh, in their uh, feeding and also in building off the back of this um, recovery ministry and other things they've got going on. So often what we need to do when we're talking about on-ramps is to help people find their place of passion that they'll express to us as the thing that really motivates them or the most pressing issue in their community. They'll, they'll begin to reveal to us what they're interested in doing. And as leaders, one of the things we have to learn to do is be aware of all the opportunities that may exist that we could plug them into or help them find a place in where their gifts could be used. Now, Reggie, I, I'm kind of curious here. You just told us kind of about a, a y'all come uh, event. How important is it for kingdom leaders to get the right people on board in their effort for kingdom initiatives? When we talk about the right people, we're being selective at that point, aren't we? That's right, yeah. You're, you're trying to build um, a team uh, that, you know, that actually gets something done. Uh, so that you're, uh, again, marrying your vision into action. And I think you've got to think about, you know, several categories of folks when you're trying to put the right team around the table or whatever your analogy is. Uh, you, you've got to think about who's going to be affected most by what it is you're trying to do, and you've got to get those voices at the table. Just yesterday I was with a group that's working on a statewide initiative Uh on literacy, again, happens to be the topic. The legislature of that particular state has decided that this is a year to do some significant educational reform. And while everyone applauds that and knows that to be true from the governor on down, the dilemma was that the bill writers uh, decided to create an education reform bill without consulting uh, teachers. <laughs> I mean, wow. so the people who are <laughs> going to be most affected by the, uh, the the reform, or now, of course, the students are going to be most affected, but the people who are going to, you know, be, uh, you know, uh, immediately affected in how they perform their day-to-day thing, uh, you know, weren't at the table, um, nor were students, you know, uh, and, and so it was kind of a top-down, there again, a policy walk approach uh, to uh, to building a team. And, that you know, and that's showing up now in some of the resistance they're getting, which also helps me think about another category. You've got to think not just who's affected, but who's going to implement this. And so in their case, the, the people affected and the implementers happen to be the same group of people that um, kind of got cut out of the early conversations, but now they're scrambling to get them, you know, their voice back in. But by then you've lost a lot of credibility, I will say. Uh, and you've raised some non, uh, some, some resistance that didn't need to be there. So if you're putting together a team as a leader uh, that's going to marry vision uh, like a reform or, or you're going to move the needle on some societal issue, or you're just going to, ramp up a neighborhood program for something, make sure you think about who's going to be affected, who's going to implement, 
Then the, the, another group that needs to be around the table is who are people that actually know something about this? I mean, um, <laughs> you and I are both amazed at people who simply think that because they have a passion for something, it makes them an expert in the field. Uh, you know, I have a passion for a lot of different things that I have absolutely no knowledge of. I mean, it's like, it's like listening to people at a sports event around you uh, do the commentary on people's uh, actions, you know, a, a point guard or, or a wide receiver or, or, you know, some wing person in a hockey band, you know, and, and they're talking and they have never played that. They have no idea what's going, but, you know, they suddenly think that they, they know a whole lot about it. You've got to get people in your orbit that are actually experts in the field about it, whether it's from the process point or the content. And then uh, you've got to get folks uh, in uh, around the table that uh, you might not think about that also have an interest in the same thing. Uh, again, this is a more collaborative approach. You don't think that you're the only person uh, in this space. Who's been in this space for a while? Uh, who, who, who else might have an interest in the very same thing that you're trying to pull off, whether it's from another domain or, or maybe it's from an, another organization uh, in the same place? So uh, but smart and savvy collaborative leaders just know how to assemble a team that has all these elements uh, in, in the conversation. Well, that's uh, well said, Reggie, and I really appreciate that. You know, I have to say that uh, when we're doing our discovering engagement processes in cities that you've been involved with uh, in our recent work in Colorado Springs and in Minneapolis, one of the things that we encourage people to do is they take things to the next level. After they've expressed their passion, we've helped them find an on-ramp. We also say to those same leaders, hey, find out everything that's being done in the area of your interest. If you want to improve educational outcomes, let's find out who's already doing it. Let's get out there and discover some things. If we want to, if we want to uh, come alongside folks so that uh, you're, you're helping them find a good job that leads to, to a career in workforce development, find out who's already working in workforce development. What best practices may exist right under your nose? Who are right. some of the experts locally? And then uh, how can you engage with them in meaningful ways so that uh, they have more resources and more volunteers to do what they do well even better? Right. And, uh, so, so exciting, Reggie, when you mention all this. And uh, I wonder, you know, any leader who's involved in community development and social enterprise, you know, they, they typically – rely on a workforce composed of volunteers to some extent. What advice do you, would you give uh, these leaders um, to, uh, to help them to manage, uh, to manage volunteers well in the field? Well, there are three things that I see a lot of times that, um, that we need to pay attention to. First of all, I think it's really important to see, uh, see the work from the volunteer's perspective. I mean, as a leader, you've got a vision, um, and, and you're probably at a 30,000 or 40,000-foot view. You may have a holistic kind of deal, but, but as people are brought into the work, don't, don't run past their perspective because they have a particular perspective they bring. I'll give you an example. It's kind of a negative example, but it drives the point home. So I volunteered to help a local organization with their uh, feeding program, homeless feeding program that happens every night. 
And um, so, and I got a bunch of my friends ready uh, to help me. So I took a team of us. There were like five or six of us. And we go up to this church where it's it's going to happen, and uh, and we're given our assignments, you know. Now, what we had in our mind was we get a chance to engage homeless folks tonight and be a ministry to them. We're told just before the the, the time arrives, as we're assigned our places, and I, my place was like three people back from the front line. I was uh, the guy to sling beans on the plate, uh, you know, right off the stove, and then pass the plate along. Um, and we were told, don't talk with these folks and don't engage them because, you know, we're trying to get them through the line as quickly as can. And then we talked about, well, how about sitting with the, no, no, we're not here for conversation and long-term stuff, whether you, we want to get people served and out and get them to their overnight uh, destination. Well, obviously, they ran right past our perspective on what we thought we were going to be doing. Um, and, um, I mean, good night. I mean, you can recruit a robot to put beans on a plate. Uh, you know, uh, and, and do it better, you know, with, uh, cause they kept barking at me faster, faster. So, uh, the scorecard of the people who, who I was, uh, the ministry group that I came alongside, their scorecard was, uh, how fast and, and you know, uh, can we get this, uh, thing done and be out of here tonight? Uh, and for us, we actually thought we would engage with, uh, homeless ministry and and have conversations with homeless people. Now, people think I'm making up a story like that, but that's exactly what happened to me. So, you see, mm. in that case, they, they'll never get me as a volunteer again because they they, they weren't even uh, slightly interested in my point of view or what it was that motivated me to sign up to help. Glenn, I think another important thing in terms of, of volunteer engagement is that, yes, help volunteer, you know, listen to their, like I'm saying, listen to their perspective so you get it. But the volunteers also need to know the perspective of the leader, the, uh, you know, the dream. You know, connect those volunteers to your dream. You know, I can, I can think of some years ago uh, I was visiting um, my daughter in New York City. It was a summertime uh, visit, and, uh, one of, and she was involved in a, a ministry there, and and so we went to her ministry uh, site that day. Uh, basically, she was responsible, with, well, along with some others, for coordinating uh, teams of volunteers to do some significant community engagement. On this particular day, they had over, uh, you know, over 150 State Farm employees to paint a school, one of these downtown high schools, actually the school where Alicia Keys grew up in. Uh, went to school and, and actually has a, a recording studio there that she furnished for the school to have. So you've got, you know, this massive workforce, and they're deployed all over this school, which is multiple stories and, you know, runs forever. And I mean, but they all came together for lunch, and in just, just I mean, under a minute, uh, this young millennial who convened the group at lunch to have a blessing uh, you know, just thanked them for their efforts, told why it was important, uh, that what they were doing mattered, and then prayed over the volunteers, not just for the food and thanking them for, you know, God for the food, but prayed a blessing over all of those folks. Now, if I'm there painting, that less than a minute uh, of engagement with the bigger vision just helped my efforts get more, uh, you know, and I know they were there as a team and fulfilling some kind of corporate deal, but suddenly they had a personal piece in helping a kid's life get better. I just thought it was brilliant. 
and just shows you the power of vision. And when you marry vision with action, what can actually happen? I think a third thing. I think that's, yeah, that's very exciting, Reggie, uh, what you just shared there. I can't uh, tell you, uh, in, you know, enough. Most of the time on something like a painting project, you don't have a volunteer job description, but people know they're coming to do the job. And they want to know that their work means something and that it's important. And for the leader to have done that is just phenomenal. That's good leadership. Well, what I also appreciate is not just about their work, uh, which you're highlighting again, which is important. Uh, They went the extra step then and say, and by the way, we're interested in you too. So I'm going to pray over you that your life is better. It just opened up, you know, a whole new window. Uh, you know, for those volunteers to understand, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm helping somebody else, but I'm also, uh, you know, an object of, of God's care and concern as well. I just thought it was, it's just, it's just what ought to happen, but I don't see happen maybe as often as, um, as, as should. So I, I try to help leaders always to remember that people need to be able to peek behind our hearts and see what's going on. Uh, don't take for granted that people get it. A third thing I think um, is, you know, and again, this will come across as a negative don't do, but I mean, with working volunteers, uh, there are just some things that we have to avoid if we're going to get the best. And I, I would say, you know, don't fail to honor the efforts uh, and celebrate the efforts of volunteers. Um, I mean, I could have said that positively, like, you know, um uh, be sure to celebrate, <laughs> you know, the efforts of volunteers. Either way you say it, the point is it needs to get done. I can think of two uh, positive examples here. I, I, at the Dream Center in Phoenix, I took a group out there to take a look at the remarkable work that they're doing. And uh, But part of the day revealed that on a monthly basis, uh, they, they host an event to celebrate and honor and feed their volunteers and give awards and tell stories. And I mean, how important is that? I mean, it takes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of volunteers to pull off the work that they're doing in so many different arenas, all the way from, you know, homeless to, to feeding programs, to uh, employment uh, opportunities, you know, employment uh, and, and help rescuing people out of sex trafficking. I mean, they used to have this enormous bandwidth of work that they're doing that requires so many different people at so many different levels, but that monthly get-together of of their volunteer force that kind of is a gift of an evening of inspiration and good food and to them, it's, it's, just, it's just vital to keep that thing alive. Or, you know, I'm thinking about a friend of mine, Hank here, uh, who, uh, you know, had a, a ministry called... Um, uh, Oh, goodness gracious, it escapes me all of a sudden, uh, repairing roofs, homeworks. Yeah, homeworks. And he got the idea when he was on uh, a mission trip with his high school daughter years ago down in Central America repairing roofs for folks with his church. He comes back, and he, he, and he starts a ministry to do the very same thing in my home here. And, um, and, but what Hank uh, does, and he, he's involved over 20,000 students in this over the years, repaired over 2,000 roofs on homes of people who can't afford to repair their roofs. I mean, it's remarkable. You know, Jerome takes a team from school a week. I mean, he'll he'll have several hundred kids, you know, or whatever. Particular week I uh, visited his ministry uh, just to nose around, see what was happening. 
he was a junior a group of junior high students. Now you're talking about kids that are particularly unskilled at repairing roofs. They may be great at making holes <laughs> in roofs, but but they were supervised, of course, by fabulous adults. And and at the end of that week, they started on Sunday night. They showed up. They 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 would overnight in this church fellowship hall. Um, so it's like a camp all week long. Uh, but early in the morning, they would head, Monday morning, they headed out to the five or six different sites they were repairing. By Friday, they did on all the repairs and they ended Friday night with a meal where these kids hosted, uh, prepared the meal and served and hosted the, um, the folks whose roofs they had prepared, uh, repaired that week. Talk about a beautiful picture of mm-hmm. loving neighbors. And all that, and and the reason I point that out is this was, this was not something done for the volunteer, but but with by allowing the volunteer to do that extra special kind of deal, it was a way of rewarding these kids for their work all week long, because they got a chance then to hear back from those folks whose roofs they had repaired. Uh, you know, uh, they knew the person they had worked on, but there were four other people whose homes were now fixed who could tell, you know, what it meant to them. It was, it's just a beautiful way of connecting the volunteers uh, with a, you know, a, a positive reward for their experience. So I think leaders that are engaged in community development, social enterprises, you asked me, um, I mean, they, they just have a way. They don't, they pay attention to this whole volunteer engagement and they help people get in touch with, you know, uh, they, they see it from the volunteer's perspective, but it helps people get in touch with that vision again, and it gives them a way to, to act on that vision, and then you know, they reward, um, you know, they, they honor the efforts of those volunteers. And uh, one of the things that you just said that I think is so critical is how we honor volunteers. I, I kind of hear that as saying, when we honor volunteers, we're telling them that what they did was meaningful and the wages of volunteerism really are hearing their name called out on that role of honor, knowing that, uh, that, they've, that, that their service has been seen as meaningful to others. And, uh, yeah. and it just it lights a fire in the heart of those people to want to serve more. And uh, it's so important. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I've enjoyed uh, the chance to look at several uh, aspects of helping leaders marry vision with action uh, today. Mm-hmm. It's critical capacity I see in kingdom leaders, and I hope maybe we've uh, said a few things here along the way that increase that capacity in our listeners. Well, I want to honor you, Reggie, and just say thank you for sharing some of your <laughs> insights into how kingdom leaders effectively marry their vision of kingdom impact with the action necessary to pull it off. Let's hope that these insights increase our listeners' capacity for kingdom influence and their ability to see the kingdom come in their communities so that their communities become good communities and and then they add up together to become good cities. Uh, Speaking of which... Uh, this podcast is, is a uh, podcast that Reggie and I do on a regular basis. You can contact us if you'd like to follow up on anything we've talked about today or any of our other podcasts by emailing us at info 
at goodcities.net. That's info at goodcities.net. And please subscribe to our podcast and uh, give us any feedback you'd like to give us about what we're doing. We'd like to uh, certainly improve our podcasts, but we also want to interact with you. So uh, feel free to connect with us. And, uh, and, in a, and on occasion, you might even want to think about whether it makes sense to bring us into your community. Reggie serves as our city's coach, and, uh, and either Reggie or I will be happy to come out to your city or community, and uh, we'd like to inspire folks alongside of you so that they're serving effectively in your community, and your community is moving toward becoming a great city, a good city. Thanks for listening to the Good Cities Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe and listen in on future episodes. To get more information about Good Cities, join our email list, or to find out how to get involved in making your city a good city, visit goodcities.net. 